Thank you very much, Elijah, for uh, leading us with the scripture reading. And that obviously was not John that led us in prayer. That was Jody. Thank you very much, Jody, for leading us in prayer this morning as well. Um, We are uh, making our way through the Jesus Storybook Bible. We are uh, using it as kind of the the guide through our uh, series over this past year. We've been doing this since September, and if you have the Jesus Storybook Bible, hopefully you can see that we are uh, probably two-thirds of the way through the book, and we are at this great story of Zacchaeus meeting Jesus, and I hope that you are excited to investigate this story because I'm very, very excited to to share what I've learned as I've studied this story with you this week. Let me start this way, though. Uh, One of my favorite hymns is a hymn called, I Sought the Lord and Afterward I Knew. How many people here know that hymn, have heard of that hymn before? I Sought the Lord and Afterward I Knew. Okay, so some of you do. One of the things I love about this hymn is just the, the profound, what I think are incredibly profound lyrics. It says, I sought the Lord, and afterward I knew he moved my soul to seek him seeking me. Was not so much that I on he took hold, or, or, or no, that I had, O Savior, true. No, I was found by thee. And then it keeps going. You did reach forth, and thy hand and mine enfold. I walked and sank not on the storm-vexed sea, was not so much that I on thee took hold, as thou, dear Lord, took hold on me. I find, I walk, I love, but oh, the whole of love is but an answer, Lord, to thee, for thou wert long beforehand with my soul, always thou lovest me. Now, here's the thing about this hymn. This hymn is like a testimony, all right, of almost anybody who comes to faith in Jesus Christ. When they reflect on the story of their coming to Jesus Christ, this kind of becomes that story. And what's fascinating about that is that it is the exact opposite of what people think religion and Christianity and faith are all about. Because you see, today, people talk about religion as being about humanity's search for God. Human beings are on a divine search, looking for transcendence, and as we seek, we encounter God. The Bible says the exact opposite. The Bible says nobody's seeking God. In fact, in Romans chapter 3, the Apostle Paul says, no one understands, there is no one righteous, not even one, no one seeks for God. No one. And he's quoting the Old Testament, so this isn't just Paul with his own neat ideas. This is him quoting the Old Testament. The whole Bible's testimony from beginning to end is that nobody in and of themselves goes looking for God, but rather, if you are a Christian, if you are here today and you believe in Jesus Christ, or if you're watching online and you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that God raised him from the dead, this is Paul in Romans 10, if you believe that and confess that with your mouth, then that means that God hunted you. God sought you out. God pursued you and made you his child. That's what that means. Now, this story 
of Zacchaeus meeting Jesus is a perfect illustration of that principle. It's a beautiful illustration of those first words that I quoted to you from the hymn, I sought the Lord and afterward I knew he moved my soul to seek him seeking me. That's what this story illustrates. Because what's fascinating is, is when you first read it, you see a story of a guy who wants to see Jesus, and he goes looking for Jesus. But by the end of the story, you discover that it wasn't Zacchaeus who was looking for Jesus so much as Jesus looking for Zacchaeus. And so what we're going to do is we're just going to walk through this story and highlight those two things. A man seeking God and Jesus seeking a man. That's basically it. So let's have a look together. So All right, Jesus has entered the city of Jericho. Jericho was kind of a large city for the first century. It was a bustling kind of metropolitan city. And Jesus is walking through this city, traveling through this city as he was wont to do. And of course, just like every other time Jesus enters a village or a town or a city, crowds gather. Crowds gather because people have discovered that Jesus has a reputation for being an amazing figure. His teaching is powerfully authoritative in a way that the teaching of other rabbis isn't. But on top of that, he does some pretty remarkable things. Luke himself has just recorded prior to Luke 19 in, in the, a couple of the earlier chapters that Jesus has, has um, caused the lame to be able to walk He has given sight to blind people so that they can see. He has even taken away leprosy, which was seen as a death sentence on a person's life. He has freed people from from leprosy. So he's done these incredible things. And of course, people want to go see Jesus. They want to see the guy who's done these remarkable uh, miracles. And Zacchaeus is one of them. Now, in the first part of the, the, the book, or the, the chapter, in chapter 2, uh, Luke says this. He says, a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. Now, he says a lot about Zacchaeus in just those few words. Zacchaeus, he says, was a chief tax collector. Okay, what does that mean? Well, that means that Zacchaeus was the most hated guy in the city. You see, the Romans ruled over Palestine at this time, and they exacted taxes from the people there and brought those tax, that tax money to Rome. But they didn't just get those taxes themselves. What they did was, was they hired, they, they outsourced that job to actual Jews living in Palestine. And those Jews were the ones who had to, to collect taxes on behalf of the Romans. And so Zacchaeus was one of these guys who did that. And what that means is, is that Zacchaeus was getting rich off the backs of his own people. He was putting himself first, putting their needs second, and he didn't care about them. We don't really have a modern kind of comparison to them other than this. During World War II, when the Nazis were invading the other countries of Europe, 
there were sometimes in nations like France and Belgium and the Netherlands, there were people who were Nazi collaborators who welcomed the Nazis in and actually tried to help the Nazis overcome their own people, their own state, and submit themselves to the Nazi regime. Those people were hated by all those others who lived in those countries because they were seen as Benedict Arnold's. They were seen as sellouts. They were seen as turncoats. They were seen as looking out only for themselves because the reason they collaborated with the Nazis was less about the ideology behind Nazism and more about self-preservation. They were in it for themselves. They were trying to protect themselves. They were trying to get ahead through Nazi occupation. And so Zacchaeus is one of these kinds of guys. Threw his own people under the bus. And therefore, he would have been a complete and utter outcast, okay, in the community. Nobody, this guy had no friends. Nobody would be his friend. His family, and everybody back then had a family, okay? His family would have cut him off. His name would have been dead to the family. You got to understand, when they get together for family gatherings and they're talking about people, nobody's allowed to mention this guy's name because he is such a, a, a pariah to all of them. His name would have been anathema to them. He would have been like Voldemort. You just don't say that name. And... Not only was he this kind of outcast because he was tax collector, he was the worst kind because he was a chief tax collector, which means that he had other tax collectors in his employ. So he was building an, a, a, a financial empire through this selling out his own people to the Romans. And he apparently was very good at it because it was wealthy. He was wealthy, I should say. So this we know about him. We also learn um, in verse 3 that Zacchaeus was also short. Hmm. How short was Zacchaeus? We don't really know how short he was, but we assume when it describes him as short that he was like maybe like a 10-year-old child or so. I don't know if I had Faith or Leah or Joel or uh, Lewis stand up. You don't have to stand up. He'd probably be like that, like kind of up to here-ish. All right, so he's a short man, okay? So we know that he's rich, and we know that he's short. Anyhow, Jesus comes through the city. Zacchaeus wants to see him, but he can't see him. It says in verse 3 that he can't see him because he can't see over the crowd. Now, that probably does not mean that he's just like going and, and hoping he can see over the crowd. What it probably means is that people were blocking him because you know how it is when, when there's a celebrity in town, what happens? The shorter people, they go to the front and the taller people go to the back and then everybody gets a good look. What was probably happening was that Zacchaeus was being blocked off by the rest of the people because they're like, oh, we hate that guy. We don't want him to, he's here. What's he doing here? Let's all stand shoulder to shoulder so he can't get through. And so what does he do? He goes a little further down the way and he finds a sycamore tree. Now a sycamore tree was not a super tall tree. It's not like our maple trees and stuff like that. And the, the lowest branches would have been reachable even by shorter people. And he decides to climb this tree in order to see Jesus. But you got to understand, for him to do that, he's probably a middle-aged man or maybe even an older man. I mean, wrapping his leg around the limbs and trying to climb up and, and hold on tight and all that kind of stuff. He's probably not very limble. Nim, limble. <laughs> He's probably not very nimble. He probably doesn't do yoga to keep his muscles loose and, and stay flexible and all that kind of stuff. So it would have been a big deal for him to get up in this tree. Plus, 
He's already an outcast in the community, and now he's a man, a grown man, climbing a tree like a kid. He looks like an idiot. Whatever shred of dignity he may have had yet was completely lost. Because remember, this is a a culture based on shame and honor. And you don't do stuff like that because you look like a fool. Your reputation would have been shot as a result. And nevertheless, Zacchaeus does this. Now, the question has to be, why? Why does he do this? Now, he doesn't just do this because he's an outcast, because he could have said, look, when, the, when he's trying to push his way through, and then, and, and then Tom and Steve, they stand shoulder to shoulder against him, and he tries to push through there, and they kind of give him a little elbow in the chin or something like that, he could have said, I forget it, and just gone home. And he could have said, well, I'm not going to go climb a tree. Like, I'm going to look ridiculous. I'm going to look like a fool. Everybody's going to make fun of me. Why bother? He pursues, you see. He pursues Why does he do that? He's acting out of character, okay? Look at verse 3, or listen to verse 3. Luke says this, he wanted to see who Jesus was. And then in verse 4, so he ran ahead and climbed the sycamore fig tree to see him, to see him. So he really wanted to see Jesus. Why was he acting out of character? Luke gives us this great clue in verse 3. He says he wanted to see who Jesus was. Now, this is very interesting. Remember, Zacchaeus had heard about Jesus, just like everybody else had heard about Jesus. That's why the crowds were gathering. They had heard about Jesus. But Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector, which means that he had tax employees, and he was involved in the tax world, and he most certainly had to have heard about how Jesus behaved and treated tax collectors. Luke, actually in his gospel, he kind of sets it up for us. In Luke chapter 3, we read that tax collectors were coming to Jesus to be baptized. In Luke chapter 5, we learn that Levi, who was a tax collector, was called by Jesus to become one of the twelve, one of the disciples, one of the inner circle. In Luke chapter 7, it says that the tax collectors were accepting Jesus' teaching. And in Luke chapter 15, that great story where Jesus that, um, tells the story of the prodigal son, right? It says there that the Pharisees and the tax collectors were listening to him. In other words, they were coming to Jesus, listening to his teaching. They were attracted to him. And then to top it all off, in Luke chapter 18, Jesus tells that great story of the tax collector and the Pharisee going to the temple to pray, right? And the Pharisee is standing in front of the temple, and he says, oh Lord, I thank you for your grace and your kindness and the fact that I am not like bad people like this tax collector over here. And it says that the tax collector, he stood very far back and he had his head down and he was beating his breast and he just said, oh Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And what does Jesus say at the end of the story? Tax collector went home justified, went home saved. Pharisee didn't. So Zacchaeus has heard that Jesus is different. In other words, See, Luke is preparing you and I for this moment as readers, but more importantly, Jesus has been preparing Zacchaeus for this moment all along. He knew 
that people love to hang out with Jesus. And Zacchaeus had heard that Jesus loves to hang out with tax collectors and prostitutes and sinners. And he was asking himself, who is this guy? And so he acts out of character. And he does these crazy things. Like climb a tree and look like a fool in front of everybody. Now listen, two quick applications before we move on. One, when Jesus has entered your life in a saving, powerful way, very often, friends, he's been preparing you for that moment long before you realize it. I I was talking to someone from, from this congregation, actually, who shared with me sort of their conversion story. And it's a beautiful story. It's a fascinating story. And what they told me was is they didn't really grow up, and I apologize if I don't get the, the, all the uh, details correct to this person. Anyhow, so they were telling me um, that they didn't grow up in a particularly religious family, particularly observant family, but when they were eight years old, their aunt gave them a Bible. And they didn't really think too much of it. It wasn't like it became a really important part of their life or anything like that. And they moved several times. And you know how when you move, you purge, right? It's an opportunity to get rid of the stuff that you don't really use and you don't really think about. You will never miss anyway. Strangely enough, this person said, this Bible somehow kept coming along with them on every move. And later in their life, they were going through a hard time with a family member and they were pretty desperate. And they found this Bible and they opened it up to the Psalms. And they weren't even entirely sure exactly what they were reading, but they were finding comfort in it. And and they found themselves sort of attracted to the Christian faith and to Jesus and to religion. And they would occasionally go to churches, but uh, they never really found a community there, didn't really know anybody there. And so they didn't stay for very long. And even once in university, they tried to go to a church and the doors were closed. And they, they, maybe there were people inside, maybe they weren't. It's a good lesson for us to always be welcoming. Um, But in any case, they turned around and they went away and they didn't have anybody to kind of guide them through all this religious stuff until one day they met their spouse who happened to be a Christian. And now they finally had somebody who could help them with their questions that were related to this, this attraction that they had to Jesus Christ. And they'd say that it just shows that God had been preparing them a long time before they met Jesus for that encounter. That's the first application. The second one is this. When you do encounter Jesus in a saving way, very often what will happen is, is you will start to act out of character, just like Zacchaeus did. That could actually be happening to someone in this space right now. Maybe you are here and you're the kind of person that, like, doesn't go to church. Maybe you're online and you're watching this service and you're the kind of person who typically doesn't find yourself in churches or watching churches and you are here right now. Maybe you're a person who has been going to church for a really long time, but frankly, in all honesty, you tend not to really listen to the sermon. But you're listening now. Why? Why are you acting out of character? Preacher's no different. You know, I know I look good. Um, And the reason is because Mike 
Tickler told me this morning that I looked really good. In fact, he thought I had bought a new outfit, which I found somewhat insulting given the fact that I've worn this for like two years, but whatever. Regardless, the preacher isn't different. The message isn't different. If you had been listening, you'd know I basically say the same thing every week. And yet you keep coming back. But you're listening now. Why? Why? I'll tell you why. It's because when you seek Jesus, it's because Jesus is seeking you. Maybe Zacchaeus had discovered, because he was so wealthy but so alone, that the Beatles were right. You can't buy me love. And so he went out on a lark looking for Jesus. But you see, even though he was looking for Jesus, what we see as the story unfolds is that Jesus was really looking for Zacchaeus, okay? This is the second point. We get, we get to the start part of the story where Jesus ends up under the tree and Jesus looks up, right? And he speaks to Zacchaeus. Now think about this. Most of us, I bet, certainly I, have always pictured this scene with Zacchaeus up in the tree alone. I blame children's Bibles for this because I think that's pretty much how it's always illustrated. And if you're like me, you are forgiven. But in reality, he probably was not alone. Have you ever watched when like the Boston Marathon is happening or there's a celebrity in, it, in town or whatever uh, or, a, or a famous soccer player is in some little village in South America? You know what happens is all the kids... All the kids are climbing light posts and trees and anything they can get their hands on to get up to get a good look because they're the ones who can't see anything. There is almost no doubt that Zacchaeus is in this tree with other people, probably all children. And Jesus looks up and he zeroes in on this one character up in the tree and by name he speaks to him. And he says, Zacchaeus... Come down out of the tree. I must stay at your house today. I bet you Zacchaeus, if his mouth didn't at least fall from the tree, his whole body, like, I know it says he came down, but I wouldn't be surprised if he fell right out of the tree. And here's why. Remember what I said. Zacchaeus is the most hated person in the city. Maybe one of the most hated people in the country. And Jesus has said, I must stay at your house today. There was nothing, absolutely nothing that Jesus could have said that would have been more dignifying to Zacchaeus in that moment. Nothing. Because you see, Zacchaeus could never have invited a rabbi or a teacher or a community leader into his home because that place is unclean. And if he had gone there, that, or they had gone there, that would have made them unclean. There's certainly no godly Jew living in Jericho that would have been caught dead in Zacchaeus' home. He couldn't invite anybody over. And so here, Jesus invites himself over. And in case you think to yourself, well, you know, maybe he's just coming over for lunch or something, scholars have said over and over and over again, the fact that Jesus says, I must stay with you, the fact that um, it says that Zacchaeus welcomed him and the, the crowds said, were muttering, well, he's going to stay as a guest at Zacchaeus' place, probably means that Jesus moved in for a, a, a few days, at least for a sleepover. Jesus was initiating fellowship with Zacchaeus. 
Jesus was saying, I want to be your friend. This is the ancient Near East. When you enter, when you invite somebody into your home, you, any of you who have ever traveled to traditional cultures, you know the big deal that it is, right? Every one of you has ever been on a short-term mission trip to places like Africa, etc. You're told it does not matter what food gets stuck in front of your face, you eat it. Because these people are offering far more than a snack to you. They are offering the right hand of fellowship. That's, what's, that's what Jesus is offering to Zacchaeus. And notice, Zacchaeus, or Jesus does not preach the gospel to Zacchaeus. It's startling. He does not say to Zacchaeus when he meets him in the tree, repent and believe Zacchaeus. He doesn't try to shame him into changing who he is right in front of this, this great big crowd. In fact, nowhere in the text is there any mention of repentance. Nowhere. And this is like one of the great sinners of the New Testament, okay? And notice also that, where am I? Okay, I know what I'm going to say. Zacchaeus he knew something about Jesus. He just knew that he needed to see him. And here's, here's what I want to highlight. And we say it all the time at Grace Valley Church, and I love being able to say it again to you. What is wonderful about Jesus is the only requirement that he has for you to come to him is that you admit your need. All you need is need. Zacchaeus knew in his gut that he needed Jesus. That's all he knew. He didn't really know much else about him. He just knew that he needed to see Jesus, and that was enough for Jesus. And so many of us, we have so many things that we want to offer to Jesus. I want to give you my gifts. I want to give you my skills. I want to give you my money. I want to give you my time. But you don't actually just want to give him your need. And that's the one thing Jesus wants. And notice that, that Zacchaeus is not the one who invited Jesus into his home. Jesus is the one who invited himself into Zacchaeus' home. In our evangelical world, we like to talk about inviting Jesus into our hearts. Jesus kicks down the door and says, I'm a coming in. That's what he says to Zacchaeus. And one more thing. Notice that when Jesus meets Zacchaeus, Jesus does, or Zacchaeus doesn't say, Jesus, I have been a cheat and a sinner all these years, and I am so sorry for it. I'm going to change my way. And then Jesus responds, well, good, I'm coming to your house today. Uh-uh. No, 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 no. Jesus says, I'm coming to your house today, Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus responds with, Lord, I've been a cheat. I am now going to cut a check for 50% of my net worth and give it to the poor. And anybody I have been a cheat to, I am going to pay them back 300% what I stole from them. Here's the punchline. Here's the point. Here we are driving to the center of this story and the point of the story right now. Don't miss it. It's this. The acceptance of Jesus is what activates repentance and faith in a sinner. Zacchaeus was a sinner, yes, but Jesus accepted him as a sinner, and that's what led to his repentance and faith. It is the exact opposite of what our world assumes, and frankly, sadly, oftentimes what many in the church assume. There's this television show that I got hooked on called The Good Place. It's on Netflix. Anybody here 
Heard of The Good Place? Jody loves it, and so does Abby. Okay, well, I think it's quite excellent too. It's a comedy, one of the very few clean comedies, mostly clean comedies you can find on television. And here's the premise of the show. A woman shows up in The Good Place, which is heaven, okay, or supposed to be heaven, and she discovers that, in fact, she doesn't belong in the good place. There was a glitch in the system, and somehow she got sucked up into the good place. She was supposed to go to the bad place, which you can guess the other place is, what the bad place is. And the reason she knows that she's supposed to be in the bad place and not in the good place is, is because she's not a good person. And the story is that, that life on earth is all about gaining good points and losing good points based upon your behavior. If you're a good person, you gain lots of good points, and then you go to the good place when you die. If you don't, you lose lots of good points, you don't have enough good points when you die, and therefore you go to the bad place. And her whole goal is to figure out how to become the kind of person in the good place that enables her to actually stay there. And it is a fascinating show about morality and ethics, and they talk about philosophers, and if you're kind of a philosophy geek like me, you just eat that stuff up. But here's the point. That's what people think. It is. All I have to do is ask you, when do you feel closer to God? When you've had a bad day and done a lot of bad things, or when you've had a good, th good day and done a lot of good things? Everybody knows that they feel closer to God when they're good. And that's because our, just, our default mode is to think that the way to a relationship with God is based upon our goodness. And Jesus comes to Zacchaeus and he says, Zacchaeus, in spite of your flaws, in spite of your record, in spite of your collaboration, in spite of your extortion... Simply based upon the knowledge that I, you know you need me, and you may not know much more than that, I want to spend time with you. You know, in verse 8 is where Zacchaeus says, Here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and I have cheated anybody out of anything. I will pay them four times the amount. And Jesus' response to that is, Today salvation has come to this house. Now, Jesus does not say, after Zacchaeus says, I'm going to do all these things, Jesus does not say, well, you've done these things or you're going to do these things, so salvation will come to your house. Or uh, salvation is coming to your house because I see the change that's happening in you, Zacchaeus. No, no, no. He says salvation has come to your house. What he's telling Zacchaeus is, is that salvation in grace is what motivates the change in behavior Zacchaeus' transformation is a result of grace. It is not the occasion for grace. Uh, Zacchaeus' transformation, yes, is the result of his salvation, not the occasion for his salvation. This is so important for us to remember, guys. This is the heart of the matter. This is, this is a message that goes contrary to everything you experience in life, everything that the culture tells you in Instagram and other social media feeds, everything that, that happens in your academic life or in your work life or in, or in your social life, everything that this, this world tells us is that life is based on merit. And Jesus upends everything and says eternal life, the life that really matters, is not based on merit, it's based on grace. Sinclair, and that's what caused the transformation in Zacchaeus. 
Sinclair Ferguson puts this beautifully. He says, when a heart is given to Christ, it is amazing what falls out of your hands because it's already fallen out of your heart. And why is that possible? Well, when Zacchaeus wants to see Jesus, okay, and when he saw who he really was, in verse 6 it says this, he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Other translations say he welcomed him with great joy. When Jesus accepts you as you are, you are filled with incredible joy. Incredible joy. I, you can almost say you feel honored when he accepts you as you are. Think about this. If the Queen of England came to do a, a tour of Canada, and she wants to go to all these places, all these great places are, are out there, and all these wonderful people with their palaces and fancy uh, dinners and, and, and uh trappings of, of, of opulence. They offer her uh, a place to stay, and she says, you know, when I go to, when I go to Canada, I want to stay with you. Or you. You might be terrified. Okay, fair enough. Like, you might be like, oh, man, you know, my Corel dishes aren't quite going to cut it. But wouldn't you, wouldn't you also feel incredibly honored and amazed and wouldn't that motivate you to clean your house? <laughs> and wouldn't that motivate you to finally crack that cookbook that you bought seven years ago and you said, I'm going to really get into cuisine, but you never actually got around to it? That's what will motivate it. It is the honor. It is the opportunity. And that is precisely what motivated Zacchaeus to have this great person say, I want fellowship with you. I delight in you. The Son of God wants to be with you. He came to seek and save what is lost. You know, this is kind of the story of my own conversion. I, I don't ever know if I'm supposed to call it a conversion or what, but I'll, I'll just tell you this. Um, when I was a teenager, so my life, my family history is a little, it, it's a, I mean, lots of people have, my, my family history isn't more crazy than anybody else's really, but uh, it wasn't typical of kind of the church ethnic background that I grew up in. And my parents had kind of a, their own revival of faith when I was like a tween or, teen or early teenager, and they became very Jesus-focused people, like to the point where as a teenager, I was like, oh, this is embarrassing. You guys are such nerds. Um, and I kind of pushed back on that, and I kind of rebelled against that a little bit. And, and I, it wasn't that I was denying God or saying Jesus didn't exist or anything, but I just wanted to have fun. Me and girls just wanted to have fun. And so I kind of pushed back against that, and, and I, I kind of pursued a lifestyle that I knew that was not uh, God-honoring, uh, but it was fun, at least in the short term, and enjoyed that. And then one day, I, I did something very, very wrong, and I'm not going to tell you what it was, but it was very wrong, it was very bad, and I got caught by my parents. And I've told you a little bit of the story of my issues with anger, uh, and, and that, I come by that so-called honestly in the sense that my dad had issues with anger. And dad, if you're watching this, you are, I respect you more than any other man on the planet. So remember that as I say this. And when I got home to be confronted by my parents, I was terrified. I thought I was a dead man. Like, goodbye world. 
it's over. I will never see my friends again. I will never enjoy life again. I may literally die. And when, when my parents stood in that living room and confronted me, something happened that I never could have expected to happen. My father, now I could have expected this from my mother because she was a remarkable woman in her own right. I could never have expected this from my, my father, but I remember very clearly my father stepped up to me and as I braced myself, he wrapped his arms around me and he hugged me and he said, son, what is wrong? What's going on? We love you so much and we are so worried about you. And I tell you, in that moment, it like, there's a place in Proverbs where it says, a gentle word can break a bone. Wow, did I experience that. Like, I was just shattered by that experience. And I remember going to bed that night, and I'll be honest, like, it's not like Paul, I became St. Paul after that. You know, sometimes it takes a long time for God to work out the kinks in his new creations. Um, and he's still working out. I'm not St. Paul now either. But I remember laying in bed that night and thinking to myself, Jesus, you have to be real. There is no other explanation for the kind of love that my father just expressed to me other than supernaturally created. He had every right and I had every expectation to get judgment. And instead, I got grace. And that was the catalyst for change. And that is what is so utterly unique about the Christian faith. Guys, listen investigate them. Go ahead. I, I challenge you. Read up on Buddhism. Read up on Hinduism. Read up on Islam. Read up on New Age. Read up on any religion you want. There is nowhere else on the face of the earth where you are going to see a leader say, you know how I'm going to get you to fall in love with me and give up everything to follow me? I'm going to love you unconditionally. That's what I'm going to do. One of my favorite passages in the whole Bible is Romans 5, verse 8. God demonstrated his love for us in this. Listen to this. There's this word in there that blows my mind. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, while we wanted nothing to do with him, while we were reveling in our self-destruction, he died for us. That's what it means for him to come and seek and save the lost. Listen, if you're listening to this and this is all new to you, but you are attracted to this Jesus who is like nothing else you can find on this earth, don't let this moment pass. Our website has my phone number. It has my email address. Call me, text me, write me, email me. I would love to carry on a conversation with you about what it means to give yourself to this Jesus and to everyone else. If, if you do love Jesus and you are thinking to yourself, I'm such a screw-up, I'm such a failure, I'm such a blowhard, I'm, I'm so much not what I want to be. Realize, right now, you are everything he expected you to be. You have not surprised him in the least, but in this moment, he is calling to you too and saying, I'm not going to leave you the way you are. 
with joy give up your sin, give up your, your selfishness, give up your, your foolhardy plans for, for earthly pleasure and experience the joy like Zacchaeus did of giving everything to him. Yeah, I didn't land the plane real great that time, but that's okay. Let's pray anyway. Heavenly Father, what a remarkable thing is the gospel of Jesus. Look at this Zacchaeus, a total pariah in his community, and yet you delighted in him, and you sought him out, and you overpowered his selfishness and his greed. You overpowered it, not with power, but yeah, with power, the power of grace, the power of dying on the cross for sinners like us. Father, may we embrace that truth and that beauty, and may we experience it too, and may we, may we share that with our world. May we just let them know Jesus loves them. In his name we pray, amen.